0: Well, good morning, again. <laughs> good to see you. As we're singing, we're singing about the message of Hebrews, isn't it? Jesus is greater. What an amazing Savior we have. That precious, precious name. Now, I don't think that's a coincidence. But there is a coincidence this morning. As you, if you looked at the notes a little bit, you would see that. And I love it when God does stuff like this. It's really a lot of fun for me. It's one of those moments where I pause and I kind of look around and I recognize that God is moving the pieces on the board. And it's really, really kind of cool. Now, can I tell you something? It should be very important for me to be recognizing that God is moving the pieces. Because as the one who kind of stands in front of you most Sundays and talks, I can kind of organize things and structure things and kind of figure out where things are going to happen and what's going to, we're going to talk this series, we're going to walk through this uh, set of scriptures, we're going to deal with this theme, and you kind of set the theme, you can kind of set the agenda, you set the direction. In all of that, you pray. We as a leadership team, as elders, we pray about that. Connor and I will talk about things and and ask questions about things. And In all of that, we're leading and directing, but we're also seeking to listen to God and trust that he's in the process as we're walking through these things. But this Sunday in particular, it's particularly fun for me because I just see very clearly God orchestrating, and God organizing. So we're going to talk about Jesus and his sacrifice, but it's also Memorial Weekend. Now here's what's fun. As we started Hebrews, I thought I would probably preach through chapter 1 all on one Sunday. I had grand plans. I dealt with the first four verses, and then dealt with the rest the next week picked up the first four verses in chapter 2, and then Connor was supposed to, had planned to, deal with the rest of chapter 2 last week. He called me up, I guess, Friday and said, because I was on the road taking Daniel out to Oklahoma, I was then on my way back, and he goes, is it okay if I don't go through all of... Chapter 2, and I just deal with these verses, I said, that's fine, sure, that's, that works. And then as you look at the verses again, you're reminded, it's just so cool, because it's Memorial Day weekend, and the very theme that we're talking about in the Scriptures fits hand in glove with Memorial Day weekend. What's Memorial Day weekend? Memorial Day weekend is when we honor those who have made the ultimate sacrifice for us. And we remember them and their sacrifice and what they have done so that we can have the freedoms and liberties and opportunities that we have today. Now here's the reality. They are dead and they are gone and they're not peeking from heaven observing. But it's important for us to honor the sacrifice and to treat it with respect, to treat it with dignity, and appreciate the sacrifice that has been made on our behalf. And to not squander it, to not waste it, to not treat it callously or casually, but to really recognize that a significant price has been paid for the freedoms and liberties and opportunities that we have in life. Now, as you kind of see, as I talked about this on the top of the notes, there's at least two things. There might be more things in the minds of the individuals who stood in the gap for us over time and over history, but there's at least two things that I thought stood out. First of all, they stood in the gap for a worldview, they stood in the gap for a series of values that they were defending. In each of our world wars, in, in, in the Revolutionary War, in the Civil War, individuals stood in a gap for a series of values, for world views, for ideas that they thought were significantly important. For instance, like with our Constitution, we hold these truths to be self-evident. And we talk about these inalienable rights that God has given us. And we fought a civil war, or or a revolutionary war, excuse me, fought a revolutionary war because we felt these truths were significant enough and valuable enough, important enough to stand up and say these things need to be fought for. We fought a civil war. Because we felt the dignity of man and the freedom of man was enough and important enough to fight for and to defend the dignity of people and not hold people as slaves but allow people to be free. We fought world wars over tyranny and people abusing power and abusing others. There are truths that motivate us and compel us to action. That's important. Because as we talk about that, this carries right over to the whole issue of faith. Is our faith so significant and viable to us that we're going to stand and build our lives on it and we're going to defend it with our lives? Or is it something we step away from when push comes to shove and we let it slide away? Throughout history, there have been men and women who have stood in the gap for their faith in the message of the gospel. Almost all the apostles were martyred and gave their lives to stand in the gap for the gospel. And over history, hundreds of thousands of people died defending and standing for the gospel, the message, the truth, the values, the message of the gospel. But the other thing that stood out is that the ones who were fighting in that gap, the ones who were standing in that gap, the ones who were interceding on our behalf or others' behalf, as they did that, They considered those they stood for deserving of their sacrifice. They considered those they stood in the gap for, those they defended, those they fought for deserving and worthy to be fought for. And to be interceded for. And again, we're going to see that today. Jesus considered us worthy. Jesus considered us deserving to stand in the gap, to fight for us, to die for us. It's huge. I just love, I, I'm looking at the parallels, and I'm just loving how God just orchestrates pieces and parts to bring things together in really, really cool ways. So with all that said, let's look at Hebrews chapter 2 and look at verses 10 to 18 this morning. He says, For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. This is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. And again, I will trust in him. And again, here I am with the children God gave me. Excuse me. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common... Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who are held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. For it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. Therefore he he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way, so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God, to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who were tempted." Let's have a prayer, a word of prayer, and we'll jump into it father I thank you again for the time you give us around your word and father just the opportunity and the privilege to learn to to just wrestle with your word to allow it to speak into our lives allow it to shape us and to mold us so that father we can more faithfully reflect the character and image of Jesus and how we live and, and what we do and so the father as people interact with us they won't just see us but father they'll see the presence of your spirit they'll see the presence of Jesus in our lives and they'll say wow I don't know quite what's going on in your life, but you're, there's something about you that is real and that has that's substantive and, and that changes life. It gives us that opportunity to reflect the hope of Jesus. But Father, still in all, that we get to live in you for your glory and to live transformed lives. Father, I thank you for that. Just bless our time this morning, I ask, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now as you look in your notes, you're going to see there's two groupings that we're going to look at this morning. But let's pause, and as Connor did last week, just recap a little bit. Because this is a building conversation. The disadvantage that we have is we're looking at the conversation, but we're stopping at moments of the conversation. And so you got to pick it back up. And so let's just be reminded. What's going on is that as the writer to the Hebrews is writing, he is writing and he's saying, guys, don't treat Jesus casually. Jesus is greater and Jesus is more. And something is going on where they are kind of looking at Jesus and they're kind of, on the hierarchy of those things or people or, or beings that are important, Jesus is not at the top. Jesus is kind of, in their thinking, kind of fallen down somewhere in that category of grading. And in that process, they have started to elevate angels and, and, and heavenly beings. And they're more important than Jesus because they really come from God. And those heavenly beings are really the ones that are the messengers of God. And, and so Jesus is starting to be treated as less significant and less important. And so all of chapter 1, he starts to kind of present that argument. He says, guys, don't diminish Jesus. Jesus is greater. And he starts and says, listen, you need to understand. Jesus is God in the flesh. God made everything through him. Jesus is not secondary. Jesus is not minor. Jesus is primary. Don't treat Jesus casually. And then we kind of came to the beginning of chapter 2 and he kind of throws that gauntlet down a little bit and he starts to say, listen, are you really in Christ? And he starts to challenge their faith and to challenge their relationship with God. And saying, listen, if you're treating Jesus casually, you really need to ask the question in your life, are you really in Jesus? Because if you're really in Jesus, you're not going to treat him casually. You're not going to treat him lightly. You're going to treat him as significant. And then as he continues, he says, now you also need to understand something. Jesus didn't come to redeem the angels. And you are also more important than the angels. You're elevating the angels here when they're not there. Now for a short period of time, Jesus came and he humbled himself and he became a servant. He became a man and he humbled himself in that way so that he looked like he was Less significant and less important than the angels, but that was necessary, and we're going to look at some of that today, because we, we hear that conversation, we read that statement where Jesus was perfected. And and we're going to touch on that and talk about that a little bit, but that's key in in some of the conversation that's going on because Jesus actually is not minor, but he is superior. He is overall. Jesus is the one who, who God placed everything under his authority, everything under his feet. Jesus is the one that's exalted. And so then we come, and we kind of come to this conversation then here this morning. And so we're going to kind of walk through these verses, and we're going to walk through these two sets. So let's start at verse 10. I'm going to read through verse 13, and then we're going to kind of go back and start to walk through it. It says, For I bring... For uh, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, he was until, entirely, it was until, he, boy, this, every once in a while, I just can't read. Now, Joe would say, you got to slow down. I have always read too quick. You know, when we had uh, Easter service and Good Friday, you know, Del Bieber stood up and he just read so well, you know, and I'm like, oh. I've only been doing this, like, for 37 years. I wish I could do that, you know. And, like, but, oh, well. I will try to read. Now, in my defense, I'm getting older, so my eyes are not always as good. But, yeah, I've got to find some excuse for not being able to read well Sunday morning. So, for, you know, this, oh, um, I'll leave it alone. <laughs> For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father." This is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will sing hymns to you in the organization. Again, I will trust in him and again, here I am with the children God gave me. So let's go back to verse 10 and kind of kind of walk through this a little bit. So again, for in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, we're talking about Jesus who's bringing many sons and daughters to glory. It was appropriate that God, for whom, for whom and through whom all things exist. Pause for a second. Scripture talks about how Jesus holds all things together. And yet, it's in God Through whom and for whom all things exist. It is Memorial Day weekend. Let me tell you what a lot of people think the weekend exists for the weekend exists for the NBA playoffs. The weekend exists to go to the shore and kick back and relax. The weekend exists to hang out with family and friends and adjust, chill. The weekend exists to tip a few back and relax and get in that cozy, comfy, mellow spot. The weekend exists to remember and to acknowledge those who have gone before us and to honor their memory. Tomorrow morning, many will go to parades and will go to a a cemetery for a memorial service. Now, I can continue down that list. Some are saying it's, it's, it's the beginning of summer. It's time to go to the beach house. It's time to go to the mountain house. It's time to open things up. It's time to get ready to let the hair down, let the wind blow through our tresses, and to enjoy the glory of warm weather. It's time to prepare. We're going to say all of these things and so much more are reasons that exist for this weekend. And God is gone. Nope. Nope. It's what a lot of people are going to do, but that's not why this weekend exists. This weekend exists for you to know and glorify me. Again, what does the text say? And bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through whom, all things exist. All things exist for Him. All things. Now, does that mean... We can't enjoy the weekend. Does that mean we can't go out and have fun in the warm air? Does it mean we can't hang out with family and friends? Does it mean we can't open up the house and, and let the warm air blow through our hair and all that kind of fun stuff? No, it doesn't mean that those things can't happen. Those things can happen, but as we allow those things to happen, we need to recognize why those things are happening and for whom all of those things are allowed to happen in our lives. It's for the glory and honor of God. And the reality is that we find our very existence in the power and in the work of God. We are here today. We exist. We draw breath. We have the glory of experiencing life. Why? Because God has... Granted that and holds it all together because through him and for him all things exist. We so often miss it that all things exist for God and his glory. Jesus was not confused. And he says, it was appropriate that the one for whom and through whom all things exist should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now when you look at that word perfect as it shows up On the screen here, it doesn't look like it's in a verb place. But it's the verb. God considered appropriate to perfect Jesus through suffering. Now, here's part of what goes okay? Jesus is God. We go back to the beginning of Hebrews 1. And as we read through that, we are reminded that Jesus, that through Jesus, all things came into existence. Jesus was the creative force and the creative power that God used to create. Jesus is God. We read, we, we spent time in Genesis this year, and we, 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 we walked through some of those things, and as we looked at the curse to to Eve. And as we looked at that conversation between Eve and the serpent, what did God say? God said that the seed of Eve would crush the serpent's head. The serpent would bite his heel, but but the seed of Eve would crush the serpent's head. Talking about Jesus. Talking about the one who fashioned and created, that God worked all that through. But Jesus, as he resided in glory, was not in the right position and was not prepared or able to intercede. Because he had not yet been perfected through the process of suffering to intercede. Jesus had to become a man. And he's going to walk through this a little bit more in a text. But there was a process through which Jesus needed to go through to be ready to step into that place of being able to take our punishment, to take our guilt, to take our sin. He had to become like one of us. God, in his nature, is different than you and me. Now, we were created in the image of God. God imprinted his likeness on every single one of us. This is is a big deal. So, Every little child that's born has the image of of God imprinted on them. Every child that is conceived has the image of God imprinted on them. Everyone you see walking down the street, every picture that you see of a person that exists or has existed in our world, they have the image of God imprinted on them. And because of that, they are uniquely and distinctly valuable and precious. No one is a throwaway person. No child is a throwaway child. No fetus is a throwaway fetus. All are imprinted with the image of God. All of us. But Jesus in that glory was not yet ready to step into history and intercede. He needed to become one of us. And that's what, he's, that's what is being talked about here. That's the process of Jesus being perfected through suffering. When Jesus went to the cross, he was taking our punishment upon himself. He was taking the consequences of your sin and my sin upon himself. And God was perfecting in him and completing in him everything that needed to be done for the redemption process to take place so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be restored, so that we could be reconciled to God in the sin that that both Adam committed and that's passed to us, and that we have committed all on our own, so that sin could be resolved and addressed and taken away. The perfecting process of Jesus was being completed. Now, for the one who sacrifices and those who are sanctified all have one Father. Now we read in scripture how we are adopted into God's family. Now he's going to talk about Abraham's children. Are we Abraham's children because we're a direct line of descent? No, we're Abraham's children because we are adopted into the family. You guys know our family story. We have four sons. I have two sisters. My two sisters aren't biologically connected to me. Our sons aren't biologically connected to Joan and I. But let me tell you, my sisters are my sisters and my sons are my sons. Why? Because we have been adopted into the family we have been made family it's a willful, volitional, intentional decision to make them family and when a person comes to relationship with God God adopts them into his family and makes them sons and daughters and so as we talk about this for the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified have one father it's the heavenly father the one who's Jesus in his life pointed to and he said to, to the disciples, I, my purpose is to reflect the Father and to show you the Father and to direct you to the Father. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Relationship with the Father. But then we are adopted as brothers and sisters through the finished work of Jesus into God's family as we come to faith in Jesus. One Father. And he says that is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Do you get this? You and I, if we are in Jesus, are called a brother or are called a sister with Jesus. Top shelf. Not secondary minor down here, as some are thinking Jesus is. No, the writer is saying Jesus is primary. God in the flesh. And God in the flesh is saying to you and to me, if we are in Jesus, you are my brother and you are my sister. We are children of the Father. Together, we, you, I'm... I'm natural born, you're adopted, but we are family. It doesn't matter about your genealogy. Genealogy gets thrown out because you have been adopted. You are made family. Genealogy no longer matters because you are family. Who you used to be, who you used to be connected to, those things don't matter anymore. You are family because you are adopted into the family. You are my brother and you are my Sister, And Jesus is the pathway through that adoption process works. Because he has been perfected. He has become the pathway through which the saving work of Jesus, the saving work of God, takes place. Because he is the one who's gone to the cross. He is the one who laid and made the ultimate sacrifice out. Now, this was fun he says, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will sing, ha, sing, I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. Now here's what's fun about this verse. This comes from Psalm 22. So I'm going to direct you to Psalm 22, and I'm going to start right around verse 7. Listen to the psalm. This is a messianic psalm. Does everyone who sees me mocks me they sneer and shake their heads he relies on the lord let him save him let the lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him does any of this ring familiar as you think of the easter story and the things that are being said to jesus as he's hanging on the cross It was you who brought me out of the womb, making me secure at my mother's breast. It was given over, I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Don't be far from me because distress is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong ones of Bashan encircle me. They open their mouths against me, lions mauling and roaring. I am poured out like water and all my bones are disjointed, the process of being dropped into a hole, nailed to a cross. My heart is like wax melting within me, my strength is dried up like baked clay. My, stung, my, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divide my garments among themselves, and they cast lots for my clothing." But you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength, come quickly to help me. Rescue me from the sword, my own life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. And then it says, You answered me. And here's where they quote Psalm 22. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. Right out of the context of that messianic psalm, and talking about the one who is being sacrificed, and what does he declare in this process, flows right out of the context, that declaration of identification of brothers and sisters in Christ. How about that next part? As we kind of look at that next verse, going back to verse 13, he says, I will trust in him, and again, here I am with the children God gave me. This comes from Isaiah. Let's look at that. We can go to Isaiah chapter 8, beginning at verse 17. Isaiah has given a prophecy about Assyria. He's given this prophecy during the reign of Ahaz. But it didn't happen right away. Now, we have lost patience in our culture. We have totally lost patience. I'll give you a really simple example of how you no longer exercise the kind of patience you really should exercise when you send a text how quickly do you expect to get a reply absolutely if a minute goes by you're like what Are they not paying attention? If half an hour or an hour goes by, what? Did I somehow offend them? What's going on? This is taking like forever. I need to text them again. I might need to call them. Did they fall off the end of the earth? Did they have an accident? Is something wrong? Has a disaster taken place? They should have texted me back by now. We have become incredibly impatient. Nothing new is under the sun. Isaiah gave a prophecy. Come on, God. Hurry up. Where is it? I don't see it. Time is running. Where is the prophecy, God? Come on, come on, come on. Ah, it's not really real. And Isaiah, here's what's going on. He's saying, I will wait for the Lord. Who is See, someone's getting texts. Don't reply, or you can tell them you should be at church with me. Go ahead. <laughs> it says, "I will wait for the Lord," Isaiah is saying. "Who is hiding his face from the house, who is hiding his face from Jacob? I will wait for him." It says, "Listen, I've told you what God is going to do." I have told you that God is going to address the nation of Assyria. And that they're not going to treat us well. And we can't find our confidence in them. You want to see that answer right away. You are being impatient. I will wait for the Lord's timing. But then he goes on in verse 18. He says, Here I am with the children the Lord has given me. Now he's talking about his kids. And they. These kids that have been given to me will be a sign and wonders in Israel from the Lord of armies who dwells on Mount Zion. He said, listen, my kids are going to be that witness that the promise of God, I might be dead and gone, but my kids are going to be the witness that the promise of God was made and they will be witnesses and observers of the fulfillment of the prophecy that God made. And so we go back to Hebrews. Verse 13 And what does he say? What is Jesus saying? I will trust in him. I'm going to trust the Lord. And again, here I am with the children God gave me. Jesus Is important. Jesus is the one who has been perfected for our redemption. To be prepared to step into that unique special spot, that unique special place that only one person can fit, and it's Jesus. And Jesus was finally shaped and attuned to do just that. And he brings us, us, you and me into God's presence as we come to faith in Jesus, because what takes place? We are forgiven, but then not only are we forgiven, but we are made sons and daughters of God through the process of God adopting us and placing us in Christ. See, what's going on here, the writer to the Hebrews is saying, listen guys, the angels aren't it. You're placing other things in front of Jesus. You're elevating other things, and he's going to deal with other things that they're also elevating in front of Jesus. He says, guys, listen. Jesus is the one you need to focus on. Jesus is the one you need to acknowledge. Jesus is the one you need to worship. Jesus is the one you need to follow. And you need to follow Jesus because Jesus is greater than all of these other things that you keep trotting out and saying these things are important and I think these things are more important than Jesus. No, Jesus is over all of those things. The first part of that conversation is the angels. No, Jesus is greater than the angels. And you need to understand that Jesus is greater than the angels because you are important to Jesus. You are important to God and in fact you are greater than the angels. Let's go on. Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil. See, Jesus had to become like us. Us. The only way that Jesus could take on our sin, and this is part of the whole conversation that we looked at a little bit with the kinsman redeemer. It had to be a kinsman. It had to be family. Jesus had to be like us to be able to step in and take our place. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, he became like one of us. So that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil. Who introduced death? Adam wasn't thinking about dying and Adam wasn't thinking about disobeying and, and in fact Eve wasn't thinking about disregarding and eating the fruit either. It didn't take place until the devil showed up and started to tempt and to deceive. He is deceiver. He's the one who's been introducing death. Verse 15 And to free those held in slavery all of their lives by the fear of death I gotta tell you again I've been serving as a pastor a long time I've met a lot of people who are afraid of death all ages now often those that are younger consider themselves bulletproof at least for a beginning period of time, until they probably get to somewhere in their 30s. And then things start to change. Their bodies start to change. Life experiences start to happen. Some of them have maybe lost one or two friends. And they start to recognize the reality of mortality. And invariably, as someone realizes and recognizes the reality of mortality... In their consciousness somewhere, a clock starts. They just don't know when the clock is going to stop. But they start to recognize and understand that their days are numbered. And at some point in time, this is all done. Often what do people want at the very end? Do they want the bigger house, the faster car, the the better job? No, they want more time. They want more time. They don't want to die. And they live in fear of what is coming. It's inevitable. They can't stop it. They can't avoid it. It's 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 they know the clock is gonna stop, they don't know when, and they know they don't have the ability to rewind the clock. It is clear and this is amazing. For it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels. Do you catch what is going on here, what's being said? You guys have been elevating the angels. But Jesus did not come for the angels. And he did not come to help the angels. There's a simple little truth. The fate of of every angel is already established. When the heavenly hosts split and some said, we are going to honor God and others said, no, we're going to follow Lucifer and we're going to rebel against God. At that moment in time, every angel's destiny was set. There is no redemption for those who rebelled. In fact, Scripture talks about how the lake of fire was created for Satan and the angels that rebelled. That's what it was created. And as you read the text, the writer is saying it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels. That's not who he's reaching out to help. But he's rather reaching out to help Abraham's offspring. Now you would look at that and you would say, well, he's reaching out to help Abraham's offspring, i.e. he's reaching out to help help the Jewish people. And and you would be wrong in that. Because Abraham's offspring are the children of faith. Faith. That's who Abraham's offspring are. And it's for all of those who come to that point in their journey where they put their faith and trust in Jesus. Sometimes those who are Abraham's offspring are those who have a genealogical line that brings them back to Abraham. But others are those of us who have been adopted into the family through that journey of faith in Jesus. Remember the song? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so were you. So let's just praise the Lord. You're going to right hand, left hand, left, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's about faith. Because we become the children of Abraham not because of genealogy, but because of faith in the process of adoption. He came to save the children of Abraham. Of Abraham. By the way, that's not an addition. I don't need to do it, and I got the thumbs down anyway. <laughs> All right, I can't. I can carry the tune, but I can't carry the beat. Ooh, it's an ugly thing. So then it goes on. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus had to be just like you and me. He was fully man and yet also fully God. I don't know how all that blends together. But it's true. He had to be just like us. And what did Jesus do? Jesus came to die for us. Jesus came to take our guilt, to take our punishment, to take the consequences of our sin upon himself so that he could give us his righteousness and take our sinfulness upon himself. Now again, the power of the whole Memorial Day story, to remember and to honor those who have made the sacrifice so that we could live, so that we can have life, so that we can have hope. Those who made that sacrifice for a message, for a, for a belief, for a value system that's life-transforming and world-shaping. All of that fits perfectly with the message of Jesus because that's exactly what Jesus did. But Jesus did that not just for the temporariness of what happens in our world. Jesus did that for the the eternalness of what happens through eternity. And Jesus made that sacrifice. Jesus chose to become one of us. Jesus was not drafted He wasn't drafted. Jesus volunteered. And there was only him who could really do it. And he went and he did it, becoming like us. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Guys, you are being tempted to treat Jesus, the writer is saying, as something less. Something is stepping into the journey of your life and tempting you to treat Jesus as something less and to elevate something else as something more. Don't do that. But even in that process, Jesus understands that temptation. Go back to Matthew 4. Jesus was tempted by the evil one. The final temptation is he lifted him up and he says, look at all this, look at everything, see the worlds. If you bow down and worship me, I will give it all to you. And Jesus was presented with a temptation to accept something less. Jesus, don't go to the cross. Don't honor the Father. Honor me. And all of this can be yours. Now Jesus wasn't interested in the power. Jesus wasn't interested in my, because Jesus, the bottom line, is it wasn't Satan's to give anyway. But Jesus was not going to accept something less. So Jesus understands the struggle. Jesus understands the tension. So I finish up with this question down below. We may not be facing the same exact temptations that the writer of Hebrews was talking about. But what swirls around you in your world that tempts you to treat Jesus as something less? What swirls around you in your world that tempts you to treat Jesus as something that is secondary? Something that is expendable? Something that can be displaced? Is it how people speak to you, either in your family or a neighbor, friends at work? Is it a temptation in life that you think you really need to have for you to be happy and fulfilled and significant, and you think that you need to kind of put God on the back burner to pursue that because you know God doesn't really want you to go in that direction, but you're believing that this is really such an important, valuable, significant thing that you need to kind of put Jesus on the back burner for a period of time to pursue what you really think is important? All of us are facing things that are tempting us to treat Jesus in a secondary way. One of the blazing things in our world today, in our culture today, is the whole world of politics. We are being presented and bombarded with politics and it has been crazy to me to see how different ideologies are shaping people. There are people that I know who used to stand strongly for the sanctity of human life, but because of the pressure of worldviews and political ideologies, have stepped back. There are people who have espoused deep faith for Jesus, but because of the expediency of a political worldview and other values, have to- chosen to let culture dictate their worldviews instead of allowing Jesus in His Word dictate their values. I don't know what's shaping the tensions and the temptations in your life. But the argument that's taking place in Hebrews is that Jesus is greater. And we are being tempted to place other things over Jesus and to make other things more important than Jesus. And to treat Jesus in a secondary, minor way. And to elevate and make these other things more important. And I just want to encourage you as you look at life, as we prepare to enter into the summer, as we prepare to listen to the hype that our culture gives us about all that's going to happen this summer, is all of that really real? Or is Jesus superior? It doesn't mean we can't have fun in the summer. It doesn't mean we can't go to the beach. It doesn't mean we... whatever. But is Jesus going to be the superior thing? Or does Jesus take a lower rung of importance and significance in our lives because we're giving something else, preference? That's the tension. Are we replacing Jesus with something else? Or are we honoring him where he deserves now, I don't know where you are today. So I would challenge you with a couple things. First, I want to challenge you in your walk and relationship with Jesus. I don't know if you have faith in Jesus or not, but I want to say to you that right now, if you don't have Jesus, you're placing something else that's more important in your life than Jesus. And Jesus is the most important. And Jesus wants you to know him and walk with him. I would encourage you to embrace and accept Jesus. Maybe there are things in your life that you're wrestling with and you're saying, you know, it would really benefit to have a conversation with somebody to kind of walk through these things, talk about these things so that I can get my head wrapped around these things so I can get my life aligned better so that Jesus is having the priority in my life that I think he should be having and that he wants to have. If you're in that place today, one... I invite you to have a conversation with me after the service. I invite you to take that communication card. You can you can click off for the leaders only and say hey Andrew I would really appreciate having a conversation sometime over the next couple of weeks if you could give me a call if we could follow up and go get a cup of coffee and or do something so we could talk I'd really appreciate that conversation I'd be glad to sit down and have a conversation with you maybe you want to sit down and have a conversation with Connor you want to do that that's perfectly great it's fine maybe you want to sit down and have a conversation with one of our elders with, with Buddy or or Rich or, or Bill you can say hey I'd like to have a gift." If Bill has some time, or Buddy has some time, or Rich has some time, I would love to sit down and have a conversation. Maybe some of our ladies are saying, Angie, you know, it's okay talking to you, but I'd really rather talk to Joan, or I'd really rather talk to Allison, or I'd really rather talk to to Vicki, or, you know, put that down. and Say, can I please have a conversation with? And we'll help you to find a time to sit down and have that conversation. Because if there's things in your life that you're saying... I need to address these things so that Jesus has priority in my life. We want to come alongside and help you to do that in your journey. We are being tempted all the time to put Jesus in that secondary on down place. Jesus deserves to be primary. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so very much for your richness and goodness to us. Father, for a love for us that transcends and goes beyond our wildest expectations. Father, you are amazing and great. Father, I would ask you to help us to learn to walk with you well and to honor you well in our journey. Not because we have to, but because we desire to, because you're deserving and worthy of that worship and praise. Because all things exist by you and for you. You're not minor. Father, I would ask that you would be at work in us. Prodding and pricking the spirit within us to listen and to have the courage to respond as you call. as we now shift gears as we get ready to take the offering, as we prepare to wrap up in song and head into a new week. Lord, I would ask that you would be at work in us and through us. And Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.